blessed. Don't call me lucky, call me blessed. Don't call me lucky, call me blessed. This life of mine's no chance success. I know Jesus is my happiness. Don't call me lucky, call me blessed. Blessed are the meek and lowly while on this earth they trod. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for we know that they'll see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Don't call them lucky, call them blessed. Don't call me lucky, call me blessed. This life finds no chance success. Stand, take a hymn book if you would, turn to page number 160.
made me whole Saved my wretched soul He took me in Now I'm on my way to glory Sharing that sweet old story Jesus saves I'm so glad the King showed mercy And that's the reason I'm here today And now I'm feasting at the table For the King's prepared a place here just for me Oh, unworthy of His kindness I'm adopted by this royal family And I don't have much to offer Him Nothing in my hand I have to bring But I'm glad I took my place And now I'm feasting at the table of the King And I'm feasting at the table For the King's prepared a place here just for me Oh, unworthy of His kindness I'm adopted by this royal family and I don't have much to offer him nothing in my hand I have to bring but I'm glad I took my place and now I'm feasting at the table of the king and I don't have much to offer him nothing in my hand I have to bring but I'm glad I took my place aren't you glad you took your place now we're feasting at the table Aren't you glad that a worthless sinner can end up at the king's table? Not because we deserve it, but because Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin. Amen. Since I started for the kingdom, since my life he controls, I gave my heart to Jesus The longer I serve Him The sweeter He grows Sing that if you know it The longer I serve Him The sweeter He grows The more that I love Him
Amen. Well, it's good to be in church on Sunday night. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. When you find that, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? I just feel like if you're going to sit for the next two and a half hours, you ought to stand and stretch your legs. One dear brother told me he's got to work uh, the rest of the week, and so I'm going to preach four messages tonight, just so that he won't feel neglected. No, I won't do that. Just checking, just checking. Okay. First Timothy chapter number four. If you found that, look if you would down here at verse number seven. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that the longer we know you, the more we love you and the more we understand what you've done for us. God, you've been so good to us. We're so thankful. Lord, we just ask that tonight as we look into your word, you'd help us to do it with open hearts and open minds and allow your Holy Spirit to do the work that needs to be done in each and every one of us. And we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Look again at our verse. Verse 7 says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables. Now, that doesn't mean that if your wife is old, you shouldn't listen to her. Uh, if, you, if you interpret it that way, you are resting the scriptures to your own destruction. Don't do that. There's a comparison. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. He's saying there's this, this accepted body of truth and, and common sense and all the rest. But there's something far better than that. And that is godliness. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, and not just for the immediate. It says, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. It has an effect not only in this life, but eternally. And so, like we mentioned this morning, we need to get our focus off of the immediate and onto the eternal. And if we're going to do that, God says what we need to do is have this thing of godliness in our lives. We need to exercise ourselves unto godliness. It ought to be our goal. It ought to be our desire. It ought to be our direction. And I would ask you tonight how many of you are godly, but I'm not going to. Because I'm afraid you might answer. <laughs> and, and the thing is, if it's kind of like asking who's humble. And somebody jumps up and says, I am, I am. The first thing you know is they don't understand what they're talking about. They don't have a clue what the question was. You see, it's one of those things that, quite honestly, if you think you've got it, you probably don't. Just by nature of what it is. And, and that's difficult. What is godliness? Well, in its strictest sense, it's being like God. 
Well, well, the longer you're saved and the more you know the Lord, the more you understand how much you're not like God. And honestly, in your relationship with God, if it's going the direction it ought to, you really don't see yourself as getting better and better and better. <laughs> because as you know the Lord better and better, you see more and more about yourself that you don't like, that needs to be fixed. And you may have been saved for 60 years. Trust me, there's still plenty to fix. There's still plenty to work on. So what, what is godliness? How does, it, how does it work itself out? How do we add it to our lives? We're supposed to have it. We're supposed to strive for it. It's something that we need. God says it's profitable to us, not only now, but in eternity. And yet, it's one of those things that's difficult. We, we have a fallback position. We do. Usually if we're pinned right down and we have to tell somebody what godliness is, we go to our fallback position. And our fallback position is, well, it's this list of stuff. And, and, and I don't do this, 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 and so I'm godly. Now listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. That is not now, nor has it ever been godliness. That's not godliness. Because, now listen close, any lost people, any lost person can do the stuff on your list. If, if list keeping were godliness, then we should just pack it in and go be Amish. I mean, they got a better list than we do. They got a longer list than we do. <laughs> they got a more in-depth list than we do. Listen, they got this thing about separation. They got it down to a, to a fine hair. They really do. Oh, they got tons of loopholes, but they got it down. They got it down good. If... If that's godliness, then that's where we ought to be. Is it not? Okay. Then, now stick with me. Don't let me lose you. not trying to be ugly, but I am going to tell you the truth. The vast majority of those dear folks are going to die and go to hell. Because they think their list is going to get them to heaven. They think keeping the list gains the favor of God. You just pin them down about it. They'll tell you if they don't, if they don't keep the list, they're going to hell. That means they're dependent on the list to get to heaven. They can, they can talk about Jesus all they want, but they're depending on the list to get to heaven. And that is not Bible salvation. And it is not Bible godliness. Because a lost person can do all of that. So it can't possibly equate to godliness. So what in the world is it? If it's not a list of things I do and don't do, then what is it? How do, how do I get it? How do I know if I got it? How do I hang on to it? How, how do I even find it? I have a preacher friend over in Ohio gave me a, a, a little story that he got. And, and I, I don't normally read things that preachers give me because you never know where they came from. And, and they sometimes don't know where they came from. And, and you know, it could have come from the pits of hell. It could have come from Facebook. <clears throat> That's a different night. That'll, you won't know which night that is. <laughs> Thursday, probably. Thursday. But he gave me this, and, and I checked it out. And, and as far as I can find, it's true. So I'm going to read it to you. It's about a guy named Joe Bailey. He was a columnist for a Christian magazine called His Magazine. Later on, he became the editor, and then he was the director of InterVarsity Press, a Christian publishing house. He told a story that vividly illustrates how mixed up we are about holiness and godliness. 
He was interviewing some German Christians who'd been in the German army in World War II. Two of these men had been put up for promotion to second lieutenant in the Nazi army, but they refused the promotions for moral reasons. Not the reasons you might think, though. As officers, they'd be expected to attend dances at the officers' club, and they knew that dancing leads to immorality, so to not be of the world, they refused promotion. In the course of the war, both men were assigned to administrative duty at one of the Nazi death camps. They did not directly kill anyone, but they knew exactly what was going on, and they never raised a voice in protest, quietly going about their business, helping the camp to run efficiently. Decades later, they had no regrets. They were convinced that God was honored by both decisions. In their minds, not conforming to social pressure by refusing to attend a dance was godly living, while conforming to patriotic mass murder and remaining silent while millions died left them with no feelings of unrighteousness. You see, we don't understand what it means to live godly. We make up our own rules as we go, and when we set the standard, we are capable of any evil. You say, well, that's, a, that's an extreme example. Yes, it, that is. I'll give you that. That's an extreme example. But that same scenario plays itself out in our lives day after day after day on a smaller level. Something comes up that's not covered on our list. You see, they grew up in, in good moral religious homes, and from the time they were little boys, they were taught, you don't dance and you don't drink and you don't smoke and you don't and you don't and you don't. And it was all true and it was all right and it was absolutely the right thing. But they somehow got in their mind that that was the, the infinite list of godliness. And as long as they followed that list, everything would be all right. And then something came up one day that was not on that list. Who puts on the list, don't work in a Nazi death camp? Nobody puts that on the list. Who would ever imagine to put that on the list? So it wasn't on the list. And when that came up, oh, they didn't go dance. That would be, that would be uh, bad. That would be breaking the rules. And, and that'd be against what they were taught. But working in the death camp, that wasn't on the list. So it must be okay. That's a dangerous way to live. Lots and lots of saved people live that way. Well, they didn't say that I can't do that. And if it doesn't say I can't do that, then it must be all right. That'll ruin your life in a hurry. You know, that's where a lot, of, a lot of these progressive churches and, and seeker-sensitive groups and party churches and all the rest have come to today. They've said, well, that was just a, a list of rules that your parents in your church gave you, and it doesn't really say in the Bible, thou shalt not smoke. Well, of course it doesn't. But anybody with half a brain who knows the Bible, knows Bible principles, and knows that it's a violation of Bible principle to destroy your body, and because of that, I can preach against smoking all day long and be on firm biblical ground. If you say it's not in the Bible so I can do it, you're going to ruin your life. You're going to have to get to know God better than that. It's not just a matter of is there a verse in black and white where it's spelled out that God said I'm not allowed to do it. There are a whole lot of things not covered in there in black and white. whole lot of things. New things come up every year not covered in there in black and white. You'd better, you'd better have a deeper relationship with God than some little list that'll be outdated in six to ten years. You better know God more than that. 
You see, that's not godliness, just following that little list of rules and do's and don'ts. But then what is it? Tonight, I want you to put out of your mind the idea that godliness is a destination you're going to reach. Just wipe that out of your mind. Because it's not going to happen in this life. Because godliness means to be like God. Now, there will be a day when we stand face to face with the Savior and we'll be like him, we'll be like he is, and it'll be a wonderful day. And on that day, the process will be complete. We will be like him. Until that day, we are in sin-cursed flesh, fallen flesh. And by definition, in fallen flesh, we'll never be like God. We just can't. So then what is godliness for us? You see, it's not a destination you're going to reach because if it were, you could, you know, have it magically happen to you tonight. You go home about 10 o'clock at night. You call the preacher, say, Brother Brown, you'll never guess what happened. I just got godly. That's not happening. Nope, not going to work that way. It's not a destination until that day we're face to face with the Savior. In this life, it's the direction you're moving. It's not destination, it's direction. Did you get that? Now with that in mind, I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, because God didn't leave us just wondering what in the world is this thing of godliness that we're supposed to get and supposed to have and that's so good for us. In chapter 6, he tells us what it is. He tells us what it looks like. He tells us how it works itself out in our lives. Look at, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. Now, verses 1 and 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 6 are good everyday advice from God through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, this young preacher. You see, Timothy has a unique group of people that he's ministering to. Sitting there in his congregation, if you will, there are masters and servants. Can you imagine? We're talking, we're talking slave owners and slaves is what we're really talking about. Sitting here in the same congregation. Can you imagine a few instances where that could cause some tension? I mean, if your social structure is built like theirs was on that foundation with masters and servants and all the rest, and now some of each have gotten saved and they're sitting in the same room, you can see how there could be some tense moments. Can you imagine the business meetings? I mean, who counts the money after the offering? The servant? The master? Who decides? I mean, I, it, could, it could get downright ugly, and I'm sure that it did from time to time. And he says in the first two verses, now here's how you do it. Here's how you make this thing work. Basically, it's this. Everybody just do right. Everybody just do right. The servants need to honor their masters and put in the work they ought to put in and honor them as brothers in Christ. And the masters ought to treat the servants well as brethren and take care of them and be honorable. And if everybody will do that, everything will work just fine. Isn't that amazing? If everybody just does right, it solves a lot of problems. And then you get to verse 3. If any man teach otherwise 
and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. He said, if somebody comes along and tells you something different and tries to stir up strife there, you need to know this. He's rejecting the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, and his problem is pride. I want you to see first and foremost that pride and godliness are opposites in the life of a child of God. You can be proud or you can be godly, but you can't be both. You can't be both. The one who's denying godliness is the proud individual. You can't have them both. And pride is not something that's confined to just a few people in a few places. It's part of our human condition. And so it has a way of rearing its head, and when it does, we need to get rid of it because we don't understand what a dangerous thing it is in our lives. You see, God sees pride much more seriously than we do. We sometimes use the word in a, in a positive sense. I'm proud of this, I'm proud of that. And we mean it in a, in a good way. When God uses it in the Bible, it's always sin. Always sin. It's always wicked. It's always against everything right and good and godly. And so when God says somebody's a proud man, that is a condemnation of that individual. You see, we need to deal with that in our lives. Pride keeps lost people from getting saved. It does. There are a lot of lost folks who sit in good churches like this one every week. They're lost when they walk in the door. They know they're lost. They hear the gospel. The invitation is given, and they refuse to get saved for one reason and one reason only. I don't want anybody to know I have a problem. I'm not going to walk down some aisle. I'm not going to let somebody take a Bible and talk to me. And that pride will drag them straight into hell for all eternity. Pride is a dangerous thing. Pride keeps the lost from getting saved. And not only that, pride keeps the saved from getting right with God. It does. Listen, if all the people over all the years that this church has been here, if everybody who still lived within driving distance, who was well enough to be out and about, everybody who was ever a member here, attended regularly, came through Sunday school here, got saved here. If they were all here tonight, I promise you, we would not have room for them. There wouldn't be room here in the choir loft, in the foyer, in the hallways. There would not be room for them. So where are they? Well, some, some are not well. Some are ministering in other places. And there's a good portion of them who are just proud. When they left, they left wrong. They said some things they shouldn't have said, and, and they did some th things they shouldn't have done. And in order to walk back in that door, they would, in essence, have to say, we were wrong. And they won't do that. They'll sit outside those doors for the rest of their lives before they'll admit they were wrong, even though they know they were wrong. And pride will destroy their lives. Destroy their lives and their families and those who come along. It's a terrible, terrible thing. The Bible says pride is like a chain that wraps us up and binds us. You want to be godly? You have to deal with pride in your life. You have to do away with pride and put it out and get rid of it. Now look down a little further. Verse 4 again says, He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, 
perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Wow. So God says, if you, if you want to follow godliness, you have to deal with pride in your life, and then you need to withdraw from ungodly people. Those who reject the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and doctrine which is according to godliness and those that suppose gain is godliness, withdraw thyself. Get away. Run. Go the other direction. There are an awful lot of folks today living in verse 4 and verse 5. There really are. Doting about strifes and envy and railings and evil surmisings and perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. I think some people have too much time on their hands. And they spend it on the internet looking for new doctrines. And that's a dangerous place to get your theology. Because any bozo with a website can make it look fancy. And they can throw some scripture verses on there and suck you in. And next thing you know, you're buying into some heresy that should have stayed dead long ago. We were up in Canada last year, I guess it was. And, uh, no, 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 it would, have been, it would have been 2015. We were up in Canada, good church, good folks, because uh, we're going to be there again in June this year. And, and the pastor called me. We, we pulled our fifth wheel up there, as we always do, and, and it was a rough year. That year was a rough year uh, for our travels. Seems like every time we pulled out, something would go wrong, and we'd have a mess. And, and we got up into the middle of nowhere, New York, and we blew a tire on the fifth wheel. Well, there we are sitting on the side of the, of the highway, and I called the emergency number because I pay for that, and I expect them to show up and do what I pay for. And, and then once I call them, it's my own personal challenge to get the tire changed before they get there. I know they're coming, but I know it could also take an hour and a half. And I think if I can get the tire changed, I can beat them. And, and I did it back in December. They got there just as I was putting away the lug wrench. I was so happy. I was thrilled to death. But there we were, and the tire blew. And, and the kids think it's party time when that happens. They're running around in the median, finding treasures and, and getting dirty. And we're waiting for the thing. And, and I can't get the trailer jacked up because it's huge and it weighs an awful lot. And, and my jack is sinking down in the ground. And finally, I just gave up and decided to wait for the road service man. And, and he came. And by the time he got it all done and we headed up the road, we were late. We were way behind schedule. And I called the preacher. I said, you know, we got the tire fixed and, and we're going to come in late. It's going to be real late. And he said, well, just go over there to the campground and he checked with them and got us a late check-in and all that stuff. And, and we're staying in this campground right there near the capital in Ottawa. And we got in and it was dark and uh, it's lots of fun setting up in the rain and the dark. That's a thrill. It's like a perpetual vacation is what it's like. <laughs> and that's what we did. And, and I called the preacher again. I said, we made it in. We're all set. He said, well, just see you in the morning. Here's the schedule for the day. And he said, now, you need to know, I have some guys in the church that have been spending too much time on the Internet. And I thought, oh, no, they've been looking at bad stuff or talking to people they shouldn't talk to. He said, they've been on religious sites. Thought, oh, that's even worse. 
That'll, that'll mess you up big time right there. That can warp your life for a long time. He said, and they've gotten into some weird things. And he said, on Sunday, I'm sure it, it won't come up at all. But during the week, somewhere along the line, you might hear some odd things and just know that's where it came from. And okay, all right, okay, no problem. And I hung up and then I promptly forgot everything that he told me. I even forgot what time Sunday school was. I had to go look it up online because I forgot after he told me. And, and we went to bed and got up the next morning. We headed over to the church. We had a, a wonderful day. We did. The sun was shining. The place was packed out. It was beautiful. And, and we just had great services. I think we had a lady saved that morning. And it was just wonderful. And I'm standing there shaking hands with people as they go out the door. Now, I'll just be honest with you, Brother Brown. When, when I'm done preaching, <laughs> my mind just shifts into neutral. It really does. It just, poof, I'm, I've said everything I was going to say. My brain shifts into neutral, and I'm just waiting for lunch. <laughs> I, I'm hungry. I'm waiting for lunch. And, and I'm shaking hands with people and just thinking, you know, the faster you go, the sooner I can have lunch. And, and, and not only that, we were in Canada. I don't know when you were in Canada most recently, but you're so close you ought to go more often. They have over there across the water poutine. How many of you know poutine? Oh, those of you who don't know poutine, go to Canada. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. There have been times when they, we've been there for a week and I ate it every day, every day. They have little, little food trucks set up in the, in the parking lots of places that sell poutine. You can sneak out in the middle of the night and get poutine. It's wonderful. It's a pile of French fries with cheese curds on it. And gravy dumped over it, and it all melts down inside there. It is like a heart attack on a plate. It is one of the most wonderful things in all the world. And, and I love it. And I was standing there shaking hands with people and just thinking, Lord, please let us go someplace I can get poutine for lunch. I need some poutine. And, and, and a man walked up to me, and he said, Brother Rogers, can I bounce something off of you? Now, I've shifted into neutral. I'm ready for lunch. It's a beautiful day. I said, well, sure. He said, I've been watching these videos, and, and I'm post-tribulation rapture, and I'm just wondering if you're mid-trib or pre-trib or what you are. And I thought, oh, this is one of them. This is one of those guys right here. And he's telling me more. And I'm realizing what videos he's watching. And it's a lunatic in a strip mall in Phoenix who has 12 people who follow him. And, and he's got websites all over and sends videos all over the country. All over the country. And he's a heretic. Did you get that? He is a heretic and a lunatic. There, he is not right about anything under the sun. And if he is, it's an accident. And if you ever get his stuff, you should throw it away. Heretic, lunatic. And I'm being generous, very generous. And I, it dawns on me, this is one of those guys. And I'm just standing there and trying to decide, now, Lord, what, what should I do right now? I'm the evangelist. I can't look at him and say, you goofball, go away. I can't say that because <laughs> that would split the church and that's not my job. That's his job. I can't do that. And so I have to just stand there and smile. So I'm just smiling and I'm listening. And he's telling me more and more. And, I, mm -hmm, mm, and the pastor saw who was talking to me. And he made a beeline right between us. And he got right up between us. And you would have to know my pastor friend. 
He's not an American who went to Canada to pastor a church. Oh, no, no, no. He is a 100% pure-blooded Canadian. He's calm. He's mild-mannered. He's nice. He's got a pleasant little smile on his face all the time. He's very dignified. He's very stately. You could never imagine anything other than kindness coming from those lips. Just one of the nicest men you would ever meet. And he walked right between us, and he stuck his finger in that man's face. And he said, this is not the time, and this is not the place. Oh, this is Sunday morning. There are people all around. And I'm thinking, wow. And I started back up just a little bit. And the guy couldn't take a hint. He said, well, I just wanted to know what he thought. And he said, I'll tell you what he thinks. He believes exactly what I do. And by the way, I watched your video, and it made me more of a pre-tribulation rapturist than I ever was before. And I'm thinking, hmm. Let him have it. Go after it. Get him, preacher. Get him. And, and I'm just, just slowly backing away. And the guy said, well, did you watch the second video? He said, I watched the second video. And he said, oh, 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 the second video. It's an old dead heresy called replacement theology. God is done with Israel, that we are Israel, and all the promises to Israel are now to us, and those people should just get off that land, and it's extremely anti-Semitic, it's awful, it's evil, it's blasphemy. He said, I watched that second video, and I want you to know this, and this is my calm pastor friend. That doctrine is not welcome in this place, and those who hold that doctrine are not welcome in this place. By that time, I was, oh, Canada. Oh, 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 oh. I, was so, I was so excited about my Canadian preacher friend. I could, I could hardly stand it. I just, I thought, wow, I know him. That's my friend right there. Amen. Then I just walked over the other door and started shaking hands with people, thinking, go home so I can have lunch. Go ahead, let's go have a nice day. And a young man walked right up to me on the other side. He said, Brother Rogers, can I ask you a question? <laughs> I've shifted back into neutral. And I said, well, sure. And he said, if the earth is rotating at such and such a speed, and an airplane takes off from point A, and it takes so long to get to point B, and it takes off from point B, and so long to get back to point A, and, and I, I, I think he's telling me a joke. He's, he's setting it up like, it sounds like a joke, the way he's telling it. You know, the airplane's going, and I'm thinking, and I'm smiling. Okay, it's not going to be a very good joke, but I will laugh. I will laugh, he will go home, I will have poutine. It will be a wonderful day. And he, and he said, and it takes this airplane this long to go this direction, and the earth is rotating at this speed. And then he said, can you explain that? I said, oh, that's the worst joke I've ever heard in all my life. I can't even laugh at that. That's, that's awful. And it dawns on me, this is not a joke. He has been on stationaryearth.org. And he has come to the, to the revelation that, that we should be geocentrists. And the earth is not spinning. It's sitting still and it's hanging in space. And everything else is rotating around the earth. And really, the atmosphere is very small, and there are only a couple thousand stars, and you just think there are more because you see them reflecting off of the atmosphere, and, and uh, you know, the moon landing was fake, and on and on it goes. And I'm just listening to all this, just standing there. And he said, well, can you explain it? Don't you think it's important? I said, well, no, I can't explain it. And 
no, I don't think it's important. <laughs> and, and, I, and I laughed. Uh, then I laughed because it was funny. I said, no, no, not important. And, and, and he said, really? You, I said, hey, hey, hey now. I'm not an astronaut, so it doesn't affect my career. And when I do this, as long as I come back down, I'm good. I, I don't care why. I don't care if it's moving or not. Doesn't matter to me either way. And he's getting all flustered. And then the preacher was done with that guy. And he saw who I was talking to. He made a beeline right through there. I just walked away. I just walked away. I don't even want to know what's coming next. I just walked away. You know where those guys were living? In verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. Really? You want to spend your life trying to convince people of geocentrism? You're going to go stand out on the street corners with a sign and yell, the earth is not moving. What's that going to do for anybody? Why not tell somebody about Jesus? Why not do that instead? Wouldn't that be a better thing to do? You see, we get all, all caught up here, proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. You know what God says? Withdraw thyself. You find somebody like that, best thing you can do is walk away. Because you can, you can try to reason with them, but trust me, they are not into reason. They're not. You can go to the Bible with them, and you know what you'll find out? That won't work either. They have got their minds set on their little thing, and that's all they're focused on. And the best thing to do is walk away, because sooner or later they're going to implode, and you don't want it to get on you when it does. So you walk away. Do you see who else is in this list? Those who suppose gain is godliness. Mm. God says walk away from them as well. Then, well, we don't think gain is godliness. Somewhere in the back of our mind, as human beings, that's in there. That if it's big and has a lot of money going through it, that must be the blessing of God. It must be. Otherwise, it couldn't be that big, and, and it couldn't deal with all that finance, and it must be the blessing of God. Now, listen closely. If that's godliness, size and money, then we should go be Catholic. I'm just being honest with you. Because they got the size, and they got the money. They've been plundering the treasuries of Europe for centuries. They got money they don't even know they have. If that's godliness, that's where we should be. I'm just going to be honest with you. The vast majority of those dear, sincere folks are going to die and go to hell because they think salvation is in their church and their works and their baptism and a million trinkets, and, and it's not and never has been. Sad, isn't it? You say, well, well, we wouldn't want to do that. We, we don't want to be cat. Well, let's go be Mormon then. It's one of the largest cults in our nation and the world. It's big. And they got tons of money. They own half the businesses you shop in. They do. But again, the vast majority of those folks are going to die and go to hell. So that's not godliness, is it? That can't be it. It can't be a list. It can't be size and money. Oh, oh listen, we're just as susceptible. Even in our own realm of Christianity. We think if it's big... There's a lot of money and people going through there. That must be the blessing of God. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes it's good marketing. And nothing more. 
Sometimes it's nothing but a flamboyant speaker. Even if he sometimes says things that are right, that doesn't make it godliness. Do you understand that there are people tonight who hate God and hate the Bible and hate everything true and right who are getting paid thousands of dollars to give speeches? There are. Because they're good speakers and they can make people laugh, they can make people cry, they can make people get their wallets out and give when they didn't intend to give. And sometimes those people stand behind pulpits and do exactly the same thing. And sometimes they fill coliseums with thousands of people under the pretense of Christianity and do exactly that same thing. Just because it's big and there's a lot of money flowing through it does not mean it is of God. It does not now and it never has in the past. You know what God says? When, when you run into somebody who thinks gain is godliness, oh, well, you know, I, I know he preaches heresy and all the rest, but look at all the people. It must be God. No. No, not necessarily. God says when, when you find somebody who thinks gain is godliness, walk away. Get away from there because that is dangerous. The godly individual deals with pride in his life and then he withdraws from corrupt men. But it gets further. Look down here if you would at verse number six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out, and having food and raiment, but let us be therewith content. See, we get it backwards. We naturally go to the idea that gain is godliness, and God says, you got it all wrong. Godliness with contentment is gain. Gain is just a byproduct of godliness with contentment. The godly individual deals with pride. He withdraws from corrupt men, and he learns to be content with what God has given him. Listen, every day that you spend wishing you were somebody else, somewhere else, doing something else, is a day you just wasted for God. If God wants you somewhere else, he'll put you somewhere else. If God wants things changed in your life, he's quite capable of changing things in your life. And in the meantime, you know what you ought to do? Get busy and serve God and be content. Be content with such things as ye have. Now, look down a little further. Verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Notice it did not say money is the root of all evil. That's not true. It's the love of money. And, you know, we just got through a political season and all that, and you heard some folks say, well, it's, those, it's that, those evil rich people, and we've got to take money from those evil rich people. And No, money is not the problem. It's not money. It's your relationship to money. It's the love of money. And by the way, there are just as many poor people who love money as there are rich people who love money. The problem is that we love it, and it controls us, and that will destroy you. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. What things? The love of money and the desire for riches and, and the ungodly things. and Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Isn't that something? 
He said, I want you to flee these things, the desire for riches and the love of money and the foolish and hurtful lust. Run away from those and follow after. Isn't that, isn't that something? That's almost like a direction, isn't it? Like leave that and go there. That's a direction. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience. So the godly individual is fleeing some things and following after other things. Those things that drown men in hurtful lusts. Those things that are foolish. Those things that damage your life. God says, run away from those and run toward godliness, patience, meekness. I want you to go that way. Godliness is not about where you're at. It's about where you're going. It's the direction you're moving. Here's how it works in real life. You get the guy who gets saved on some kind of activity Friday night. You know, he comes to the whatever activity. He gets saved. He's got purple spiked hair three feet high. He's got a bone in his nose. He's got on leather pants, got tattoos all over himself. But he gets saved on Friday night. He goes home, and on Saturday, he sets his alarm because he's going to get up and go to church where they told him about Jesus. So he, he, he sets the alarm, he gets up early, he spikes his hair up higher than it's ever been because he's going somewhere special. Puts on his fresh pair of leather pants, puts a clean bone through his nose. Thank God for that. And, and off he goes to church and, and he steps inside the church and he sits down. He's so excited and God looks down at him and says, you're godly. Oh, oh, stop right there. You cannot be godly with leather pants and a bone in your nose and purple hair. Uh, why would you say that? Because... You think godliness is a list of things? And you think you've accomplished it? Oh. Just ponder that for a minute. God says you're God. Why? Well, because he's moving in a direction. Would you agree with me? He's moving in a direction he's never gone before. He's going a brand new direction. Oh, he's just started. He's, <laughs> he's barely started. This is step number one on a long journey. And he's got a long way to go. And so do you. And so do I. You see, it's just that us old people. Most of our scars are safely tucked on the inside where nobody can see them. We're not an open book. We'd have to tell you about all that stuff. Today's generation is different. The people you're going to see getting saved in the next 10 years are going to be covered with tattoos and they're going to have holes in their body where stuff was shoved through there and, and they're a mess. Those are the kind of people that are out there all over the place. And if you win people to Christ, pretty soon you're going to have some of those sitting here. And they're going to have a big hole where they took a hoop out of their ear and, and they're going to have spots where the fish hooks came out of their eye and they're going to have tattoos that they can't get rid of. And... and their scars just happen to be out where we can all see them. 
Some of you have just as many and worse scars, but they're all on the inside where they're safe. You've got just as far to go as anybody else. At the same time, you've got a guy who's been saved 50 years and he's in church and he's got a suit and tie on and his hair is cut right and he knows the songs and he knows the Bible verses and he knows everything and he's been an usher and he's been a deacon and he's been a this and he's been a that. He's been everything at some point. And there he is and he sees the guy come in with the leather pants. He says, oh great, another one of those. And God looks down at him and says, you're ungodly. Hold it now. He's been saved 50 years and there ought to be credit for time served. But there's not. There's no credit. Nope. The day you cease to move in the right direction, you cease to be godly. And it doesn't matter how well cleaned up you are, when you cease to move the right direction, you cease to be godly. If this guy, if this guy ceases to move in the right direction, if he stops right there and never takes another step in the right direction, you know what happens? He ceases to be godly. Because it's not about where you are on the line, it's about which way you're moving. If this guy keeps moving that way, God can do amazing things with him. And if that guy keeps moving that way, God can do amazing things with him. But if that guy stops, he's the guy that splits your church. Not the guy in leather pants and purple hair. It's the guy who's been saved 50 years who thinks he knows more than the preacher that splits the church. That's the problem, is that he lost his godliness long ago and you just couldn't see it. Because everything on the outside looked good. It's dangerous to look godly and not be godly. So I'd ask you a question tonight. I'm not going to ask you if you're godly because I'm afraid some of you would still answer. <laughs> I'm not going to ask. I'm going to ask you which direction you're moving. Are you becoming more like the Savior? Or are you becoming less like the Savior? Are you finding yourself becoming more like the world? Accepting things that you wouldn't have accepted a year, two, three, four, five, six years ago, but you've kind of got complacent and cold and, okay, let's watch that. Let's listen to that. Let's go there. It's not that big a deal. Then you're moving the wrong direction. Or are you saying, you know, I just want to be, like David said, I, I, I'd rather just be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I want to get up as close as I can. And you know what? I, I used to do that and didn't think anything of it. But you know, I, I really think I could do more for God if I just dropped that off of my life. So I'm going to drop that. And I'm... Oh, that can happen after you've been saved a long time. If you're moving the right direction. So well, I, I'm good, so I'm just going to stop moving then you cease to be godly. Because you don't just stop moving. Mm -mm. You move the wrong direction. You don't get that option. Thank God one day that journey will be over. And we'll stand face to face with the Savior. And the process will be complete. And that will be a wonderful day. But in the meantime, I'm not going to ask you if you're godly. I'm going to ask you which direction you're going. And if you answer that honestly, it'll answer the godliness question. Let's stand together and pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for these people and their kindness. Lord, I pray tonight that we would search our hearts and allow you to show us if we're moving in the right direction. Lord, the last thing we need is a bunch of cleaned up, spiritual looking, ungodly people. The world has seen too many of those. What the world needs to see is some real godliness. They need to see lives transformed by the power of God. Lives that are moving the right direction, opposite of this world, not with the world, opposite of this world. Lord, tonight I pray that you'd help us to be those people that they could look at and say, okay, there's somebody who really knows God. There's somebody who's got something I need. Lord, help us to have this thing of godliness. And God, if there'd be one here tonight who's never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray that tonight they'd come and get saved and start that wonderful journey of the Christian life. We ask you to work in our midst and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, the piano is going to begin to play. And as she does, there are folks here at this altar. Maybe you need to come join them tonight.